The Holy Gospel according to Luke in the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When the Bible introduces new characters, usually that person is holding something. This is something to which they cling and on which they're betting their lives. Abraham was clinging to what little family he had. Moses was holding a shepherd's staff. And David had a slingshot. Some of the disciples were holding fishing nets when we first met them. A young boy was holding five loaves and two fish. A poor widow was holding two copper coins, the last of her coins, in her hands. And a rich farmer was holding so much he had to build larger barns to store it all. Sometimes it was a little. Sometimes it was a lot. Sometimes it was money or a weapon. Other times it was a profession or a relationship. But before these people were found by God, they all had something going for them, some cherished treasure. And they held it so tightly because with this treasure, life seemed secure and hopeful. And without their treasure, they felt vulnerable in the harsh world. And you all understand that, don't you? Certainly, we all know that the world is a hard place, so if you're going to make it, we think you have to have some treasure, and you'd best clutch it for dear life, because it's your Savior. If the Bible were introducing your story, what would you be holding? A child? A job? A gym membership? A retirement plan? These are the things that we carry around with us in our hearts. It's where we have put our faith. Some of us are still holding the hurt received a long time ago. They've held it so long that they just can't let go, and tragically the hurt has now become treasure. Others are holding on to their dreams for the future or their memories of the past. They hold it so tightly that they cannot open their hands to receive the gifts of today. 
And most of us are holding on to our money. It doesn't matter if you have a little or a lot. Money can be the passion of the poor just as easily as the wealthy. If we do have a lot of money, we're tempted to think that we're okay because we have so much. And if we don't have money, we're tempted to devote our lives to get our hands on more or to clutch the few dollars that we do have. And in either case, Jesus claims we're missing the point of our lives. Jesus made this point while he was teaching a large crowd. Someone in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I would have expected Jesus to roll his eyes and say, Come on, share with your brother. But he doesn't say that. Instead, this reasonable complaint creates a teachable moment for Jesus to explain something very important Be careful, he warns. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. This would include even the reasonable kind that tells you to get what you deserve. Be careful of wanting more because it will make you miss the point of your life. Your life consists not in the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus tells a parable. A farmer had a good year. It was so good that he doesn't have room in his barn to store all of his crops. So he says, I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grains and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. In the course of three sentences in our text today, this man uses the word I or my 11 times. He's not only striving to be self-sufficient, but also self-contained. He's oblivious to the hungry world around him and to the God who gave him the good harvest. And if you ask the farmer if he believed in God, he'd probably say yes. But he's a practical atheist who claims to believe and yet lives as if there is no God. And he's on his own to save himself. There's no one else in the story, just the man and the possessions he's holding That is until God interrupts. You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and these things you've prepared, whose will they be? Your problem may not be that you have to keep renting more storage units for all of your accumulated stuff, but that doesn't mean we're not all tempted to be barn builders just like this rich farmer. Barn building is a preoccupation with storing up whatever currency we trust. It may be money or it may be achievements that you value or successful children, great health or fabulous friendships that are always available to you. If you have plenty of whatever trusted treasure you collect, you can delude yourself into thinking that your life is secure. By contrast, others of us have barns that are not filled with good experiences but with loss or loneliness, pain or failure. And if that's What's in your barn, the temptation is great to say, my life is in trouble, look at all the heartache in my barn. Again, in either case, Jesus claims we're missing the point of life. Barn building is a quantitative approach that foolishly measures life by what we've collected. It doesn't really matter what you store up and how much you have, you'll soon be consumed with anxiety about not having enough. There's never enough success or money. 
Friends are never available enough. Children can never get close enough to perfection. And no matter how careful you are with your health, you're still going to lose it. Recently, I was flipping through a magazine, and on one side of the magazine was a full-page advertisement that featured a beautiful model who appeared so full of life. And on the opposite page was a story about malnutrition amongst children in Yemen, where a child dies every 10 minutes from preventable causes. And in the middle of that story was a photograph of an emaciated little boy. And when you held the magazine wide open, the contrast between these photos was stunning. And it hit me that both of these people are dying, but only the starving child knows it. It doesn't matter what you collect along the way in life, you won't get to keep it. One's life consists not in the abundance of possessions. In the economy of Jesus, one's life consists in the things given away. And that's why we give. Why we give to the causes of our church locally and globally, supporting relationship building, accompaniment and ministry in Tanzania and Colombia. It's why we volunteer and find ways to physically support one another in our ministry here. It's why we take an offering, make pledges, and give financially to support our ministries, visits, pastoral care, justice issues, hunger issues, supporting our families seeking asylum, community meals, opportunities to learn, opportunities to serve. It's also why many of us give to causes we're passionate about beyond the church, animal welfare, caring for creation, human rights, the list goes on and on. The successful barn builder will hear about our work together and say, those are nice. Let me get a few trinkets from my full barn to give to the church. That's hardly a true investment of one's heart in the work of God through this church. The younger barn builder whose barn is only half full will say, I'm just getting started in my life. As soon as my barn is full, I will be able to be generous. Surely God understands. But God said, you fool, this day your life is demanded of you. This day is the only day you have. This day is your opportunity to invest your life in things that make an eternity of difference. And the way you do that is to take what is in your hands and to place it into God's hands. Then the most miraculous things can happen. In the hands of God, a slingshot can kill a giant. A shepherd's staff can part the Red Sea. A hundred-year-old woman and her husband can have a promised son. In the hands of God, fishermen can become fishers of people. An angry persecutor can become a joyful apostle. And a few loaves and fish can feed 5,000 hungry people. In the hands of God, treasure on earth can become treasure in heaven. Wouldn't you love to become the next chapter in the great biblical story of transformed lives? Wouldn't you love for your life to count for something of eternal significance? It can. It all depends on where you put your trust, which is another way of saying where you give your heart. God has already given you God's heart. Now, how do you give God yours? Well, Look at all the things you're holding today. The things you have counted on for so long, your treasure. And place it into God's hands. 
You can't say God has my heart, but unfortunately all of my treasure is going to my bills. Know where your treasure is going. Jesus said your heart will follow. Why would you let your heart be nibbled away by accumulating more and more bills for things and things you cannot keep? Take control. Determine how your life is spent. Let us pray. O oh God, protect us from a practical atheism that claims we believe, but allows us to live as if there is no God. Free us for the adventure of living in your hands. Amen.